The patient came in for pain at rest and a cooler right lower extremity. The nurse said that on his shift, it went from cool to cold and the pulse from dopplerable to unable to doppler. Now, it's not up to me as the nurse to decide who gets revascularization surgery and who needs an amputation. That is beyond my realm of expertise. But I do know when patients are declining based on vital signs and mentation, and I sure as heck am going to sound the alarm when I'm concerned or uncomfortable about something. Hey there, I'm your host, Sarah Lorenzini, a rapid response nurse and educator who loves telling stories to teach critical thinking. This podcast is for nurses who want the knowledge, skills, and confidence to respond to any emergency. With almost 20 years of experience in the ER and critical care nursing and a master's degree in nursing education, I have a lot of stories to share, and I love to nerd out and break down the pathophysiology, pharmacology, and nurses' role in emergencies. Stories bring learning to life. It is way easier to learn from and remember the stories that my colleagues and mentors have told me than anything I've read in a textbook. And that is why I made this podcast. Every episode is packed full of exactly what you need to know to handle whatever crisis that could arise on your shift. It's one thing to get the right answer on the test, but knowing how to detect when your patient is declining and what to do when your patient is crashing is what will make or break your day and might just save your patient's life. In light of last week's episode on advocating for your patient, even when it requires some uncomfortable confrontation, I wanted to follow it up with this story. So let me just start by saying that in my 20 years working at the hospital with physicians, 99% of the interactions I've had with providers have been pleasant, productive, and collaborative. I don't want to scare you to think that you're going to have to bulldoze your way through advocating for your patients. But I can almost guarantee that at some point you will have to speak up and it will not be well received at least initially. My hope is that by the end of this episode, you will not only learn about acute limb ischemia, but also feel empowered to put your foot down when you know your patient needs you to make someone take notice of their decline. So I get called to what we call at my hospital, a nurse consult. That's where the patient isn't quite crashing, but the nurse has a concern and they want one of the rapid response nurses to come see their patient. We love using our experience with critical care patients and coming alongside our colleagues to figure out what the patient needs. But usually, the patients aren't critical yet. So this is what the nurse says over the phone. Hey, Sarah, this patient who's admitted for poor circulation to his leg, and I feel like it's gotten worse as the day's gone on. I used to be able to Doppler his pulse, but I can't find it at all. Can you come try? So I arrive at the patient's bedside, to find his right leg is dramatically colder than the left. I too cannot doppler his pulse, and the whole foot is pale as a ghost. But what was equally concerning to me was his mentation. The nurse said he's usually very talkative, but he's just really lethargic, and he was breathing almost 40 times a minute. I mean, not in respiratory distress, just rapid breathing. All his vital signs were stable. His heart rate was a little bit fast, but his blood pressure was good, so I decided... Rather than calling a rapid response and getting the ICU involved, I would just call the primary doctor and see what the plan was for his foot. So I called the doctor and expressed my concern about his foot and lack of pedal pulse and, most concerning, his mental status. She completely blew me off and said that she'd already put him for a surgery consult, but it's late in the day. They probably wouldn't see him until tomorrow. 
I reiterated how bad his foot looked. I questioned, do you really think surgery can wait until tomorrow? His respiratory rate mentation has me worried. He's going septic. She said she was in the resident, but she thought he was fine. So the resident comes. He says the patient's foot looks the same as it did earlier. I reminded him that it may look the same, but earlier they could Doppler pulse, and now they can't. And earlier the patient was much more awake, but now he's more lethargic. I recommended a lactic acid and upgrading the patient to PCU for closer monitoring and calling the surgeon back. (laughs) So he had to call the attending that I had spoken with before to run the idea by her. She still insisted that the patient was fine and he did not need PCU, but she did approve of the lactic acid. So I drew the blood, sent it off, and then I called the attending myself again and expressed again my concern about the patient's mentation. She said it's just the narcotics that he's been getting for pain. And I was like, listen, I've seen a lot of sedated patients from narcotics, and this guy, he's not opiate naive. He looks septic to me. She was absolutely not going to do anything further. So I, I just said, I guess my description of how he's presenting is not painting a clear enough picture. Can you please just come see him for yourself? He looks sick. She said, I already sent the resident. He said the patient looks the same. Well... I had already used the word concerned several times. So now it was time to use the word uncomfortable. I said, doctor, I'm really uncomfortable with leaving him like this on the med surge floor. I just need you to come see him for yourself. Come watch his breathing and talk with him. He is not at his baseline. She agreed. She took her time, but she did eventually come see the patient. While we were waiting, the nurse asked why I wanted a lactic acid. The patient was not running a fever. I explained how I knew the lactic acid would be elevated because of how the patient was compensating. He had no respiratory reason to breathe so fast. He did not have a respiratory illness, so lungs were clear. His oxygen saturation was in the high 90s on room air, and he was not distressed, but he was breathing fast to compensate for a metabolic acidosis. He's trying to blow off CO2 to raise his pH. Sure enough, his lactic acid came back as 14. For reference, In our hospital, a normal lactic acid is less than one, so 14 is crazy high. Conveniently, the doctor came right as the critical lab resulted. She agreed that he was worse than that morning when she admitted him, so she called the surgeon herself, and the patient went to the OR that night. Moral of the story, sometimes you have to be physically present with the patient to sense how sick they are. If the provider does not have the same sense of urgency that you feel for your patient that you are physically with, Just ask them to come see the patient for themselves. And respiratory rate is the number one indicator of patient decline. Taking time to actually count a respiratory rate is how I knew that something serious was brewing metabolically for my patient. Don't ever get so busy that you neglect the basics of watching the chest rise and fall. It can tell you so much about your patient. Okay, let's talk about critical ischemia, also termed acute arterial occlusion. I personally prefer to call it critical ischemia because I like the adjective critical in the title because it conveys how time is of the essence in this condition. Patients with peripheral artery disease can get thrombotic occlusions in their upper but usually lower extremities. So this patient did have PAD or peripheral artery disease and had a history of claudication. Claudication is when patients have pain from little blood flow to their extremities. What makes it unique to other sources of leg pain is the pain is only with activity and subsides with rest. There are two classification systems for the severity of PAD, the Fontaine and the Rutherford. I don't think it's important to memorize each category, but both classification systems 
range from asymptomatic to gangrene. When it comes to staging acute limb ischemia, class one is a non-threatened extremity. Revascularization may or may not be necessary. Class two is the extremity is threatened and immediate revascularization procedure is required to prevent tissue loss. And class three, ischemia has progressed to infarction, aka tissue is dead. And at that point, you just have to amputate because the tissue is not salvageable. There are options for restoring blood flow distal to the occlusion. There is open repair where the vascular surgeon goes in and basically creates a new connection in the vasculature bypassing the occlusion altogether. Kind of like how big cities with congested traffic will create a bypass highway to go around the traffic. Well, the surgeon creates a new route for blood to flow around the point of the occlusion. There is also ever-advancing technology in endovascular therapies where they don't have to do an open repair and everything is done with endovascular wires and cameras and fluoroscopy. Kind of like the cath lab, they can go in and do a balloon angioplasty and stenting without having to cut through the skin and the muscle to get to the vessels. The recovery time is faster and more comfortable for the patient. So what are the symptoms that you can expect ranging from claudication to your patient's going to need amputation? Well, you may remember the six P's from nursing school. Pain, pallor, paresthesia, pulsesness, paralysis, and I'm going to butcher this one, poikilothermia, also known as cold. So the first symptoms you will see are pain, light claudication pain, pain in the buttocks, the thighs, behind the knees, ankles, feet, except remember claudication pain is relieved with rest. The pain that buys these patients a hospital admission is unrelieved by stopping physical activity. It is more concerning than basic claudication type pain. The limb will be pale and cool to touch. That's the big word, poikilothermia. Paresthesia is numbness or tingling to the extremity. The patient will have a difficult to palpate or Doppler pulses and ultimately no pulse distal to the occlusion. And if things are left untreated, pain will turn into paralysis as the nerve endings die. Symptoms can progress over days, or for some patients like this one, just hours. Waiting too long for revascularization is problematic for a few reasons. First, ischemia turns into infarction, and dead tissue is not salvageable, and the patient ends up with an amputation. Additionally, when arterial flow is blocked, the underperfused tissue starts to switch into anaerobic metabolism, which produces lactate, which causes a systemic metabolic acidosis. This sets off a whole systemic inflammatory cascade of awfulness. I'm sure you've heard of SIRS or systemic inflammatory response syndrome, you know, tachycardia, hypotension, tachypnea, etc. Acidosis also impairs the function of the calcium sodium pump and the sodium potassium pump, leading to impaired cardiac output and arrhythmias. Acidotic cells don't behave well. The body can try to compensate and shift the pH itself, like how this patient was doing with his tachypnea, but it can only compensate to a point. So we aren't just worried about loss of limb. We're also worried about loss of life when it comes to critical limb ischemia. So yes, I was concerned about his limb, but the fact that he was breathing so fast and did not appear to be anxious or winded from exercise, I knew he was compensating for something and all signs pointed to the fact that his foot was dying. He needed to go to the operating room to restore blood flow, and that's what he got. So, a few nursing takeaways. 
When it comes to patients who have poor flow to their limb, I would recommend pulling back the covers and doing bedside shift report together so that the oncoming shift can see what you see, and when there's a change, they know what baseline is and they can clearly communicate that something has worsened. The patient in our story today came in for pain at rest and a cooler right lower extremity, but he still had a distal pulse. The nurse said that on his shift, it went from cool to cold and the pulse from dopplerable to unable to doppler. He was correct in his cause for concern. Now, it's not up to me as the nurse to decide who gets revascularization surgery and who needs an amputation. That is beyond my realm of expertise. But I do know when patients are declining based on vital signs and mentation, and I sure as heck am going to sound the alarm when I'm concerned or uncomfortable about something, and I want you to feel empowered to do the same. Sure, you might be labeled as pushy or annoying, but not by your patient. And it's the patient that drew you to nursing in the first place, so don't be afraid to speak up. Your patient is relying on you to be their advocate. Before you go, I just wanted to let you know that if you like this episode, you would probably like my course too. My one-hour rapid response and rescue course is an introduction to how I approach emergencies. If you would like to learn to think, assess, and respond quickly when your patient is crashing, then you can check out my website, rapidresponseandrescue.com. And if you message me the word podcast on Instagram, I will send you a coupon code for $10 off the cost of the course. Oh, and did I mention that the course is approved by the AACN and worth one continuing education contact hour? So if you want to level up your emergency response skills and get one CE in the process, then this course is what you want. I put the link in the show notes for you. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you learned something that will save a life. Remember, nursing is a team sport, so trust your intuition and don't give up advocating until you are confident you've done what's right by your patient. The views and opinions expressed on this show are that of Sarah Lorenzini and hers alone. They are not intended as medical advice and should not take the place of your institution's policies or procedures. Evidence-based practice is ever-changing and your patient care should reflect the current best practice. If you want to get in contact with Sarah, you can find her at rapidresponseandrescue.com or on social media platforms as the Rapid Response RN. 